Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Have you ever had a nagging doubt at the back of your mind? An uncomfortable feeling about something or someone... It's there, quietly making its existence known. I think of it like having a tiny stone in your shoe. You can tolerate it. Until something shifts and it becomes too painful to bear. I'd reached a point where I think I was probably on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And I remember having an out-of-body experience, which was very strange, and I now know it's extreme stress. When I realised that... Uh, God wasn't using a few old men, uh, a few old white men actually, up in um, New York. The edifice collapsed in my mind. Former Jehovah's Witnesses call this kind of mental shift waking up. As my colleagues and I in the investigations team speak to sources who've been through this, they tell us what jolted them away from the organisation that was so integral to their lives. Often they've glimpsed something that troubled them, It's only because I got deep inside the machine, you might say, that I see what was going on. That's what woke me up, broke my heart. You have no idea how much I cried that night. And this is one of the things that triggered my whole exit process. I was horrified because I had never seen up to that point uh, a letter. The only information I'd seen was in the elders' book. Leaving the Jehovah's Witnesses means coming to terms with an entirely new worldview. One lady, she's on tablets and she's struggling because she's having to deal with her immortality. She's like, I can't get my head around the fact that I am going to die one day. You know, I'm not going to live forever in a paradise. I'm not going to see all my family members, all my family members I haven't grieved for. Perhaps that's why some people never leave. Daria's mother, Siobhan, stayed in the Jehovah's Witnesses, even after the organisation fought Daria in court. In other cases, people have stayed married to alleged paedophiles rather than believe their own child or grandchild. But as we speak to people who have woken up, a lot of them tell us their doubts crystallised because of the same thing. And do you see yourselves as Jehovah God's spokespeople on earth? Uh, That, I think, would seem to be quite presumptuous. A global leader of the Jehovah's Witnesses took the stand at a child abuse inquiry. And former members from around the world told us that they furtively found videos online and watched him testify under oath. 
So I was curious, what was he going to say to defend the beliefs and policies of my beloved and cherished religion? Staying up in the early hours, watching live the leaders of our religion take the stand. That was the matrix moment. I realized this is not God's one true channel. My wife and I looked at each other and realized that we can't make excuses anymore. As they watched through the night, they began to wonder whether the individual stories that had troubled them could be part of a bigger pattern worldwide. And when they woke up, they knew they had to leave. I'm Catherine Rushton, and this is Call Bethel from the Telegraph's investigations team. Episode 3, Paper Trails. The idea that the Jehovah's Witnesses have a database of abuse allegations isn't a complete long shot. The database is worldwide, but there is an England version. So there will be, for every country, there will be... Jill Owens, the woman who sent us the original tip-off, says the organisation has records of abusers in many different countries around the world. John Viney, one of the former elders we've been speaking to, tells me that in some countries parts of the database have already been exposed. When we get coffee on that windy day, he gives me a place to start. America's got thousands, and the the Zolkin firm have managed to get quite a few of theirs. The Zolkin law firm is based in San Diego on America's west coast. We can help you hold accountable the person or institutions that have allowed this to happen to you. You don't have to be a victim for the... That's the firm's TV advert starring Erwin Zolkin. He founded the company and specialises in cases involving child sexual abuse. You're not alone. One in four girls and one in six boys will be sexually abused by the time they're 18. The advert shows Irwin sat in front of a crackling fire. He's in his 60s and he's got this kind of warm, casual air about him, with spectacles and a crop of curly grey hair. He's definitely the sort of person you'd want to trust with your case. You don't have to be a victim for the rest of your life. You can become a survivor. Let us stand with you and get... He believes there are emotional benefits for victims in fighting their abusers in court. They come out of it feeling much stronger, more empowered. In my mind, it is probably the best therapy they can get. Irwin's represented more than a 1,000 abuse victims over the last four decades. He's taken big beasts to court, like the Boy Scouts of America, the Catholic Church and the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'm hoping he can tell me what the American database might be like. It's not unusual for large institutions to keep records of alleged abuse. They have similar types of documents in the Catholic Church relating to priests. Plenty of organisations have tried to keep them private, but in Irwin's cases, he found the Jehovah's Witnesses can be particularly obstructive, even when faced with orders from the court. In that respect, the Jehovah's Witnesses are very different. They just won't comply with these orders. I mean, they've been getting away with doing that. They'd rather pay the price and the cost and sanctions of doing that than have these documents see the light of day. Irwin's fought dozens of cases against the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of New York. 
That's the legal name for one of the main Jehovah's Witness corporations in the United States. But everyone calls it Watchtower. The cases have been a big deal, partly because of the sums of money at stake. This is America, after all. In the course of preparing for his cases, Irwin's been able to demand various documents. And one day, about a decade ago, he got hold of an intriguing letter. To all of the elders in the United States in March of, it was March 14, 1997. In our team, we call this the 1997 letter. It appeared to be a set of instructions. They were asking the local congregations to provide them with all sorts of information that the congregations had kept in their confidential files relating to known sexual molesters, child sexual molesters, who were in positions of authority. It's said the Jehovah's Witnesses had been collecting records since 1991, and that when the elders got that information, it was to be sent in a special blue envelope to their headquarters in New York. So I've got the 1997 letter in front of me. And it's got, it says very clearly, Watchtower Bible and Tract Society of New York at the top. And it's got this logo, which looks, it's basically like a castle with battlements, which is presumably the Watchtower. Um, and then you've got the date, 14th of March, 1997. And it's addressed to, to all bodies of elders. And it says at the top in capital letters, confidential. It's a strict set of rules from the upper echelons of the Global Jehovah's Witness Organization, which seems to set the framework for a database of abusers. It's part of the jigsaw that appears to fit with Jill Owen's description in her email. And if one part of what she told us appears to be true, then perhaps other parts could be too. Seeing this letter for the first time is an important step in our investigation. It was a major breakthrough for Irwin, too. The 1997 letter arrived when he was fighting cases for a string of victims who'd been abused by a Jehovah's Witness in San Diego in the 80s. It gave him a guide to the evidence he needed to ask for. We said, well, gee, well, what happened to those reports? They responded by saying, oh, my goodness, you know, we would have to spend 20 years of man-hours trying to find all these reports. It would be extremely burdensome and tie us up for years. So they said, no, we're not going to do it. The impression that the Jehovah's Witnesses gave was that they did hold records of child abuse allegations, but that they didn't hold them in one place. But then they put forward an expert witness. And he says, oh, well, we have all of that on a Microsoft system called SharePoint. They've all been uh, scanned. They're all searchable. Well, <laughs> that was a surprise. <laughs> it was just the revelation Irwin needed for his San Diego cases. So uh, we went back to court and said, well, Your Honor, this is what we just learned, that they don't have to go searching 14,000 congregations for this stuff. The court set Watchtower a deadline to produce records of child abuse allegations going back years. But they disobeyed the order. They refused. They wouldn't do it. I mean, I've never in 43 years of practicing law run up against an institution that has disobeyed a court order. You know, I mean, you just don't do that. 
The cases dragged on. At one point, Watchtower was being fined $4,000 a day for refusing to produce the records in the way that they should. They told us they were protecting the privacy of alleged victims who weren't part of the lawsuit. They also said they believed, quote, the court's ruling was incorrect, but they gave some ground in the case. One day, a lawyer turned up at Irwin's office with several cardboard boxes. We call them bankers' boxes, storage boxes. Inside were documents chronicling allegations of sexual abuse. Allegations from all over America. A database. The database we had been told about. Irwin put them in a cream-coloured filing cabinet in the corridor of his office, standing about chest high and three or four units wide. The records filled three large drawers. The larger side-opening type filing cabinets. And we kept them there under lock and key. I'd love to tell you more about what was in them, but I can't, because Irwin... Wouldn't be able to share anything with you. I mean, he said, essentially, with what you're describing, I probably could say, I I have files. (laughs) I'm not sure I could tell you more. That's because there's a protective court order on the documents, which stops him from ever revealing anything about them. He can't tell the victims who are named in the database. He can't even pass information to the police. And there's another problem, one which makes it hard for even Irwin to use them. Before the Jehovah's Witnesses handed the database over, they blanked lots of information out. It's standard practice to redact documents like these because of privacy issues, but the Jehovah's Witnesses went much further. They redacted the names of the perpetrators, and they redacted the names of the congregations, they redacted names of the victims, names of witnesses. Basically, every noun <laughs> was redacted in these documents, so we, they were really not of much use. When I first contacted Irwin, I wanted to invite myself to his office to come and see the filing cabinet in person. I wanted to be in the same room as this thing that we've been obsessing over. So what I learned next made my stomach lurch. I didn't realise you'd had to hand them back. I can tell you it's extremely disturbing. It's a public safety issue. And, you know, there, there were times where I would be honest with you, I kind of felt like, you know what, to hell with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go public with this anyway. But obviously you realise you can't do that. But it's, it's just frustrating. Irwin had to empty the filing cabinet and hand all the records back to Watchtower as part of a settlement agreement. The Jehovah's Witnesses disagree that there was a public safety issue at stake, but when I tell my team what's happened, they're taken aback. They must have hated that so much. It just feels wrong. They had the records there, and they couldn't even hand them to the police. And then, at the end of it, they had to hand the records back to the Jehovah's Witnesses. It's maddening to get so close to records like this, only to discover they've been whisked away. But at least we now know a foreign version of the Jehovah's Witness database definitely exists. We need to find out more about what's actually inside it. In the course of my reporting, I hear about another lawsuit in America, which might help. Yeah, I was just checking the weather, and uh, we're definitely getting hit tomorrow, but it looks like it'll be later. That's Holly McGowan. She's a pretty cool lady, in her late 30s, and she drives a snowplow for a living. We have to arrange calls around the forecast. 
In 2016, she brought a civil case against Watchtower in Montana with another woman, her niece Alexis Nunez, Lexi for short. They're only 12 years apart in age and they took legal action because of something that happened to them when they were children. Holly's stepfather, Maximo Navarreas, abused them both. Neither one knew about the other. When Holly first reported her abuse, she felt she shouldn't go to the police because they're worldly. So police, they were all going to die at Armageddon. They're part of the world. Instead, she told the elders. According to documents from his judicial committee, Maximo Navarreas confessed to abusing a child. But it wasn't Holly or Lexi. Holly also told the civil court. His comeback was, well, they actually seduced me. Because, you know, that's what eight- and ten-year-old children do to a grown man. The elders disfellowshipped Maximo Navarreas for a year. Now there's a Montana law that says it's mandatory to report child sexual abuse allegations to the authorities. But the elders didn't do that. It left Maximo Navarreas free to continue abusing Lexi. When Holly found out, years later, she was shattered. I was very angry at myself and felt guilty because I didn't try harder when I was younger to make them believe me. I didn't try harder to make it stop. When Lexi and Holly's case was first heard in Montana, Holly lost. That's because of the statute of limitations there and because she failed to convince the jury that she'd told the elders about Maximo Navarreas whilst the abuse was still going on. But Lexi won, and the court ordered Watchtower to pay her $35 million. As things unfolded, though, Watchtower successfully appealed. A Montana Supreme Court judge ruled that the Jehovah's Witnesses are exempt from the mandatory reporting laws on religious grounds. Congratulations, Watchtower, you won the right to keep sexual abuse secrets, you know. That's a little fucked up if you ask me. In the end, the Jehovah's Witnesses settled with Lexi and paid her an undisclosed sum. The Montana Supreme Court has overturned a $35 million verdict in a case accusing the Jehovah's Witnesses of negligence in failing to report sexual abuse. The case stems from a lawsuit in... In the course of the legal battle... Watchtower was forced to share several documents with the court. One of them was the form that was filled in when Maximo Navarreas was disfellowshipped, an S-77. We've been trying to get hold of one of these, and I hope Holly's case will help. But when my colleague Jack asks the court for a copy, it's sealed. The court does agree to release one exhibit, though. Here's the document. Um, it's quite long, and it's quite hard to read because the writing is really really small oh my god it's ridiculously tiny isn't it i can barely make it out it looks like it's code or jack types the whole thing out so we can make sense of it so i think actually it looks like it includes um a call log because it's got details that have been uh, from what i can tell uh, entered into a spreadsheet under different headings so we've got call dates we've got congregation we've oh got... yeah i see Gosh, and look, in those big blocks of text, you can just make out the name of victim, name of victim, and then there's an entry for Holly, and I can see another one for Lexi. It's all collected in this really uniform way, but God, it's 
reading it is really sensitive, isn't it? We're going to have to make sure it never leaves this room. Yeah, definitely. God, some of these details are actually horrifying when you look at them. Probably the, the most upsetting question that they've been asking, considering we're talking about child sex abuse, is here, this one. Was the victim a willing participant? Willing participant? I couldn't believe it when I first heard that phrase. I asked Holly how she'd felt in court when she first saw that stuff in black and white. <sighs> um, twofold. Um, like I said, both enraging, also in a way somewhat vindicating, and I think that's something that only um, survivors can say. I had no idea that they kept these forms with that type of questions and, and details and stuff like that. Um, I was absolutely disgusted. In any investigation, we want to put allegations to the people that have been accused, to give them a chance to tell their side of the story and to find out more. So we want to track down Maximo Navarreas. He ended up moving to Mexico. Holly gives us the name of the Jehovah's Witness congregation he joined and we ask a local reporter to find him. Buenas tardes. ¿Cómo está? After days of going from Kingdom Hall to Kingdom Hall, the reporter finally finds the right address. The woman who answers the door says her husband is dead. He passed away in 2021, shortly after we started this investigation. It's Maximo Navarres' wife, Joni, Holly's mother and Lexi's grandmother. So you speak English, right? Yes. Uh, okay, so would you like to say something or not regarding that? Joni and Maximo Navarres stayed together and moved to Mexico after the allegations against him came out. It might seem strange, but when we ask her about what happened, she says the accusations against her husband are unfounded. This was absolutely a horrible, horrible thing that we had to go through, and it was absolutely natural. I don't. I don't want to have to deal with this anymore. Okay, so no comment for them. Holly's mother says the allegations against her husband are not true. Holly's always wondered how her mother could have believed her abuser over her. They haven't spoken in years. In fact, when Holly and I first started talking, she didn't know Maximo Navarres was dead. I was the one to tell her. How are you feeling about okay. that? I don't know yet. I, I don't know yet. I might need to process it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, of course. Um, I mean, I'm not sad. I'm not, no. not sad or anything. I hate to sound cruel and cold, but yeah. yeah. After we speak, I keep thinking about Holly and about those pieces of paper with the tiny print, the ones that came out through her case. Those bits of paper and Erwin Zulkin's filing cabinets of redacted records give us a picture of how the organisation collects data in America when someone reports allegations of abuse. But could it be restricted to the US? An investigation on the other side of the world lays the scale of another country's database bare. More on that after this short break. 
Hi, Claire Newell here. I'm the investigations editor at The Telegraph and one of the reporters on Call Bethel. My team spends months working on stories like the one you're hearing in this series. We dig into court files and knock on doors to make sure we get all the details right. The four of us spent days following up on leads and listening to sources. Investigative journalism takes time and we couldn't do our work without The Telegraph's subscribers. If you'd like to support our original journalism and read our award-winning stories, head to telegraph.co.uk forward slash Bethel podcast, where you can get 30 days free access to The Telegraph online. That's telegraph.co.uk forward slash Bethel podcast, or click on the link in the episode description. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In 2012, there's a worldwide cultural shift underway. Society is starting to rethink how it deals with child sexual abuse. The Jimmy Savile scandal is just surfacing in Britain. And as it erupts, it fills a string of high-profile figures from all walks of life. The police currently have eight formal allegations against Sir Jimmy Savile, two of rape and six... Children's entertainer and serial child molester, Rolf Harris, guilty on all counts. By targeting young girls who trusted him and were in awe of his fame. His lack of remorse defends Victims of sexual abuse feel like they might be listened to for the first time. And more survivors are coming forward than ever before. They make reports about people in the corridors of power and in religious groups. Now, let's move on to child sex abuse, just a horrible crime, but our Australian federal police... Yet countless more instances of child abuse go unreported. ...is the subject of a police investigation into alleged sexual assault claims. The sea change in attitudes crosses continents. In Australia, several survivors' groups are agitating for an inquiry into claims of child sexual abuse in the Catholic and Anglican churches. Julia Gillard is Prime Minister, and she obliges. There have been too many revelations of adults who have averted their eyes from this evil. 
I believe in these circumstances that it's appropriate for there to be a national response through a Royal Commission. It was a far-reaching inquiry that probed all sorts of institutions. The Jehovah's Witnesses were one of them. The findings were damning. My colleague Janet tracked down a lawyer who was on the commission. He's called James Pender. We literally did send a subpoena to the head office here in Sydney. It was so broad. It was just any documents detailing and relating to allegations of child sexual abuse. They did this with every organisation, asking for documents they had relating to child abuse. Normally they'd receive a handful back. But the Jehovah's Witnesses took him by surprise. They handed him a hard drive filled with records. Initially, I don't think we quite realised what we had, but it was over 5,000 documents. They were really fastidiously kept records at the start. They didn't mean much to us, and we opened the first one, and it had these strange records, written letters, you know, between the congregation and the branch office detailing what had happened 30 years ago to a girl in that congregation. James and his team spent three weeks in a small room together, poring over it all. It was traumatic to read, partly because of the horrible details, but also because of the sheer overwhelming numbers. You can't help but be a bit broken by all of the stuff that you're reading. It's given them a shared bond. When you hear army people talk about the camaraderie of being in the trenches, like it, it was a little bit like that. It was like, we can't unlive those those weeks and we can't unsee the things we saw. You can still see the spreadsheet James and his team produced on the Australian Royal Commission website. There are more than a thousand different people accused of abuse. And 400 of them are accused of abusing more than one child. You're right, there are so many entries. Scroll down. I know, I know. Okay, and you've got these, these headings at the top here. Did the perpetrator confess in relation to any victim? You can go through it and just go click that and see. Oh my goodness, all those yeses. You've got different columns, and this one deleted as a ministerial servant or elder, number of times disfellowshipped, then number of times reinstated. Um, and if you have a look here, we've got six here that were reinstated three times. So that's six alleged paedophiles who were let back in? Yeah. There would be an initial allegation from X year mm. and then there would be a record about how there'd been um, a judicial committee to deal with that and the perpetrator had repented so they were allowed to stay in the congregation and then you would see... As James went through the records, there was something missing time and time again. Reports to the police... Once you got over the the awfulness of the amount of abuse, it was it what was even more awful was the regularity of the inadequate response. There were records of more than one thousand eight hundred alleged victims of child abuse from sixty five years. And in almost every case, there was no evidence that the Jehovah's Witness Organization had reported them to the police. I was stunned when I first heard this. It's obviously a long time, but even so, the numbers are horrendous. They amount to an Australian abuse case every 13 days. 
The Jehovah's Witnesses told the inquiry that they don't condone or cover up child sexual abuse and that for 65 years they've, quote, taken a proactive role in investigating and documenting such abuse and taking action against proved abusers. The global organisation says it'll always report an allegation of abuse to the police if a child's in danger. At first, James just thought each congregation kept detailed records. But over time, it became clear that there was a reason all the documents had the same template. Because the elders were following strict rules. Rules like those set out in the letter from 1997. As the Commission's public hearings got underway, former Jehovah's Witnesses from around the world started to contact James. We got sent these documents and then we'd ask mm. for the similar document from here in Australia. It would be identical, right. identical. And you would, you would think, this is not just happening here. At one point, they summoned Jeffrey Jackson, a member of the Jehovah's Witnesses governing body in New York, to give evidence. And do you see yourselves as Jehovah God's spokespeople on earth? Uh, that, I think, would seem to be quite presumptuous to, to say that uh, we are the only spokesperson that God is using. Uh, the, clear, the scriptures clearly show. We've been told about his testimony again and again by former Jehovah's Witnesses who woke up. James Pender became convinced that there was a systemic problem. What's more, he believed it was global, that it was being orchestrated from the Jehovah's Witnesses' worldwide headquarters in America. I can't stress that enough. Having seen the internal skeleton of the Jehovah's Witness Church in Australia and having seen the way that the governing body controls the Australian branch office, I know and I'm sure that they do the exact same thing in relation to other countries, including the UK. What he says next really sticks with me. He says he believes... It's a system that doesn't fail by accident. It's a system that fails by intention. The question we've been asking in our investigation is if the Jehovah's Witnesses in Britain are the same. There are documents in America that have been replicated in Australia. Could they exist here too? And if they do, should what we've learned about the databases around the world make us view Daria's, Michelle's and Lacey's cases in a different light? Coming up on Call Bethel. There were five calls a day per operator. That's about 20 calls a day and about 100 calls a week. It is torture. I have to grieve for people that are still alive. So I've got some news to tell you all, which is someone who did hold a very senior position within the Jehovah's Witness organisation in the UK contacted me after being asked to do so. Call Bethel is written by me, Catherine Rushton, and produced by Pete Norton, with additional production by Holly Fisher. The investigations team behind it are Claire Newell, Janet Easton, Jack Leather, Sophie Barnes and me. Executive producers are Cara McGugan and Theodora Leludis. And special thanks in this episode to Selena Masson and John Dowd. To stay on top of who's who in our story and to read exclusive news and behind-the-scenes details, head to the Telegraph website. We'll be publishing more every week at telegraph.co.uk 
forward slash call Bethel. If you've been affected by the issues in this podcast or have any tips to share, you can get in touch by emailing us callbethel at telegraph.co.uk. And if you're not already a Telegraph subscriber, sign up for 30 days free at telegraph.co.uk forward slash Bethel podcast. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.